Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. I am the aforementioned Brett Ridgway. I'm excited to welcome as my guest today, Declan Dunn. Declan is a pioneering insider in the fields of online education, performance partnerships, and digital marketing since 1995. Now, you may not know this, Declan, but I actually put up the first portal website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry back in 1995. Wow. So this unusual skill set that Declan has allows him to bring people together in business settings, large and small, enhance their relationships, and then empower them to monetize those relationships. He runs the AI Optimus podcast, exploring the possibilities of AI against the drawbacks. The purpose is to engage in discussions with both sides, hear out what we fear and what we hope for, and help design AI models and frameworks for businesses to leverage AI effectively. Today, he helps companies by growing their audience, identifying key revenue models, and executing the plan while building data assets that add value. The key is integrating digital, social, and audience connections into the traditional business model. He is called in to conduct project management and recommend key paths for growth. has helped eight companies go IPO or get acquired, two of which he founded. He's also the founder of one of the first social networks dedicated to education, recognized by Adobe for its social impact in media, which has taught over 75 million students worldwide. Welcome, Declan Dunn, to the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Hey, Brett. Thanks. Been a long time and look forward to uh, diving into what's new in, in the world of speaking. So I was trying to think back when we first crossed paths. And I mean, were you involved in the Carl Gletti Internet Super Conference events or was it World Internet Summits or... I mean, it goes back 20 years or more. Yeah, I spoke at one Galetti event, but I also attended Carl's event. I uh, really enjoyed his uh, stuff. So it's possible I could have spoken there or been in the audience, I've had, which is rare for me. I don't usually, I, I'm much better up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the stage. So when did you get first involved in public speaking and what was the impetus to draw you into that world? Oddly, it was a little bit of a combination I'd done. I tried my own play uh, that I put on my graduate work. Um, so I was I enjoyed that, obviously. But at the same time, when the Internet was coming up, a good friend of mine reached out to me in 1995 and, and had a seminar opportunity to actually teach. And I was doing the website design and development. At that point, I was a webmaster. 
Um, so he pulled me in and learning how to explain that, that's very much like AI is today where people are confused. It was like, try to explain a website in 95. I mean, they had no concept. So how to speak and not have people like run out of the room scared because they, this is just a whole new world. Who do we have to thank or to blame for drawing you into that world in the first place then? Oh, Jonathan Mizell, without a doubt. All right, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no, totally. And he was actually writing his newsletter like in freaking 94 or something. I mean, wow. <laughs> there was hardly, people can't even understand. There was barely browsers. So, yeah, um, another and we actually toured, the internet. well, we, ta we toured for two years. It was really like we went to every, pretty much, I won't say every state, but darn close to it. And it was a real blast to actually train yourself as a speaker, right? You've got to get these concepts, especially if they're complex, into simple, understandable, fun engagements and websites in 1995. It took a bit of dancing to reach that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, hard to believe we're talking almost 30 years now. Damn, we're getting old, Declan. Yeah, well, <laughs> still speaking. <laughs> still speaking. <laughs> All right. So I always say, Declan, in, in the speaking world, in my mind, there are three major models of speaking. One is the platform seller, which we're all familiar with. Another is a keynote speaker. And the other is what I just call the business builder speaker. So they're a chiropractor, a plumber, a financial planner, whatever, speaking to local groups to just build some brand awareness or whatever. So which of those worlds have you played in and which of those worlds do you prefer? That's interesting. I've played in all of them. Um, I've sold from the stage hardcore one time, which was honestly a little uncomfortable with me. And that's more my problem <laughs> speaking because I had a lot to learn about even being comfortable selling. So I will say that, uh, it wasn't something, and th this is on me, by the way, it's just my bias. I'm like not judging in fact, but what was funny was when I first tried, I was judging myself, right? Cause I'm better whatever. Like it's just so dumb. Okay. I'm fine. I sell. But what actually what I learned instead of pitching products from the stage, um, it's a little bit of combo with what your business builder is, because I would bring a local approach to a bigger audience. But my goal is to find the 10 to 20 percent of the audience that we could really do some business with, not just I've done buy my books and training and all good with that. But I ended up closing several seven figure deals from the stage, not by selling anything, by teaching and inviting people to come talk. Obviously, those are bigger business development kind of projects, but I literally, everybody else in my competition had funding, millions of dollars, all this IPO, like all cool. And I'm like a little guy with a little company, but we're actually telling and training real information. And so that's actually where some of the biggest, I got a fortune 500 client who was just sitting in the audience said, you were sort of fun. And you, I actually understood what you said. Could we talk? And that led to like a two to three year engagement. So I think speaking, I found myself, I do a little business builder. I keep it local. I go out in the audience. I shake hands. So, I mean, I always feel like you're in my backyard in Chico. You're coming in my kitchen. I'm not like Mr. And don't get me wrong. We all have our styles. For me, just being who I am, getting up there, but also pitching a lot less from the stage and using curiosity to have people meet me and do other sort of events. Obviously, I'm, I'm also have a sale that's not going to be made from, you know, like when I sold my training, buy my training, that's, that's done and done. I like this one just because it allowed me to get a little deeper and um, be able to work with people. If that, if I explain that clearly. 
So you're familiar, obviously, very well with the platform selling world. So in your opinion, Declan, in a, let's say, a 90-minute presentation, what percentage of that should be pure content and what percent of it should be the pitch? Now, I'm going to give a little different opinion because I feel like the pitch for many audiences is sort of outdated. Um, much more younger audiences I run into, though people in my age group, I don't mean that like it's better or worse. Just the language, the use of persuasion is a lot harder um, and almost a lot more suspect because I have my own reasons why I think that, but because of social media and things like this, people are a little bit more hip. So I tend to come in with curiosity, which is, and to answer your question, I, in one sense, 100% of my presentation is a sale. And it's a very old school John Childers approach, who you know well, John Childers trained me and many of the folks we know. But at the beginning, I anchor them in my product or service. Here's who I am. I don't have to go on and give you my dumb elevator pitch because you know what? You're going to shut the, you're going to be like, blah, blah, blah. I want you to know what's behind this. And by the way, in my education, I'm constantly, it's in the book. It's in my service. This, so what I'm drawing are use case studies. So the product embeds it and then each part augments it. So at the end, I'm not selling, but I've sold every step of the way. Because what I've done is inform you. And by not getting nervous and into it at the end, I'll do a very, very short pitch. And if I've connected what I, my presentation to that product, I don't have to tell you the product is good. I've been spending the last 90 minutes diving you in to experience it. A lot of uh, testimonials, but not testimonial fake ones because people can really read that. And you have to be careful. And I, I say this with humility. You don't think they're fake, but they're more like somebody's experience. And when they can see it and you show it and you give a lot of credit to them as well for a good reason, um, the product tends to sell itself at the end even. And so my pitch will become very small. But again, seriously, dude, it's 100%. Because, But I don't like to do it at the end. I've done that. It's just not my style either, by the way. This is something I learned from John Childers. This is something that's worked for me, for many of the people I've known, because each speaker's got to develop their own thing that they're comfortable with. And I was never really comfortable hardcore coming at them, even though with deep respect, I know how successful in a good way that is, but you got to find your own voice and your own style. Declan, how do you think the speaking world has changed in the, in the last couple of decades? I mean, aside from the impact COVID had on live events and all that stuff, but the audience is more savvy. They've heard it all before. I mean, not so much, but they've been trained on persuasion. And you have, to, and I have a big thing between persuasion, which is honestly everything that I would believe we learned, and curiosity, which is more like getting them to ask for the persuasion, if that makes sense. And again, this is how I'm framing it, because what I've seen mostly between Gen Z and millennials, who I work tremendously with is not, I don't want to act like I know them, okay? Because it's generations are not like one thing. But there are certain patterns and they are in charge of the world. So I needed to be able to, for one, learn their voice, learn what they liked and a lot of what they find that we do. Again, we're basically their parents, okay? So they're never going to like what their parents do. So they came out of this in a really beautiful way, being much more like caring, empathy, things like that matter. So what you're leading with, when I say curiosity, I want you to open up and ask me 
not me tell you or try. Like, oh, persuasion is almost like bad Jedis. You will do this. And again, like there's people who rock this stuff. So I'm not saying like it's over and I'm right and they're wrong. I don't live in that world. But I know when I talk to them, when I get, and I, I was just selling into like major companies who from a smaller, you know, 10, 20 person company, but relatively smaller. And so I would use the I would use the questions where, why, when questions to get them to ask me what's up, and then I can come in. In other words, I got to have them open the door and invite me in. I don't go right in with the sale, which is in one case a different style. It's not like it hasn't been also done for hundreds of years, but it's we're in a social thing where people analyze language since the pandemic very deeply. They were alone, and they've been force fed through algorithms, man. This is what people don't understand. This AI started 10 years ago. All this nastiness and people fighting each other, it's all the result of them grouping us into negative behaviors. And uh, some of those get associated with salespeople. And I don't mean that because some take pride to Tate's, right? And it, it's really, and they're making insane amounts of money, like insane. So without saying that's wrong, for me, most of them, would like to come in, make a request, and open the door. And I've just found that's more successful for me and for what I do and for what I'm selling. All right, so you're kind of sharing some of your tips for success. But if you're going to enumerate, let's say, your top three tips for being successful for this stage, give, give me a number one, two, and three. Oh, wow. Well, number one, just like a movie, you have the first few minutes to capture their attention. Use your nervousness to your advantage. Number one, you've got to, uh, you've got to like, I could care less if you rehearse this thing. In fact, I want to know how you open it. Look at any movie, any TV show, any book. If it ain't in that first page, man, it's hard to get them back. Not impossible, but hard to get them back. So when you're up, do something crazy, outrageous, bond with them. Number two, relax. I had to learn this hard. This was hard for me. Learn to really relax and be yourself. It took me, like, I don't act like I have it. <laughs> I think it's like a lifelong thing, right? But, you know, when you become so good, you can almost like, you need to shake it up. And that's what I meant by being relaxed because you don't have to stay the same, but we're evolving creatures. You should be evolving too in your speaking career and be not just better than you were, but speaking in sort of a different way. And number three is, Honestly, watch the room. I personally can really pick up different energies of the room where they're bonding me, where they're not. And I I always suggest to people when you're going to present or do a 90-minute thing and you got all this script, pick out the key elements and ask the audience to vote for which one matters to them. I've told you, I've done this closing money for funding for investors. Shut up. They're not there for your whole, this is my whole like life story. You can actually jump in and get a richer part of, let's say part two of three, where they might not be that into one of one or three, but they're really into two. And I just ask them, or, and it's more like, believe me, they're like, wow, that's why we're here. That way your presentation is not only unique, but you can give a richer experience and you don't have to feel, they might not even care about one or three. And if they don't, that's okay. But they've just identified and plus, you're now learning about your ideal customer. You're learning what they care about. You're not trying to go script, persuade. And don't get me wrong, but the problem with persuasion is we think we're the ones talking, getting people to do what we want to do. You've got to make that control and choice in the hands of the user. When they choose, they're not only empowered, dude, they bond with you. 
they close with you because you just said something. You cut the BS meter, as Dan Kennedy would say, probably in half. And you're talking about why they're there. So that's my three. All right. So do you customize each speech? And if so, how do you determine what the true pain points of your audience are so that you can make sure on you're on point as much as possible? It's a great question. I get nervous about like identifying pain points because it's so much creative, like it's me. So what I'm saying is that works for me, but I'm so not universal. And sometimes I think people start thinking they understand the pain points when they're actually just reading off part of a script. So with that, put this way, I'm always testing my pain points, okay? Don't always testing like what they really do. I do tend to customize in one sense, but I'm much less a script person and more of a practitioner, almost, I call it improv. Like I have an outline, but I can also perform comfortably there where I'm not as comfortable with scripts. And some people just blow it away. Like what they do, I, I look at going, wow, right? Not to say it's a scripts or not world, but who are you? So I do try to customize it. I will study my audience um, more in terms, you can get some demographics, but I try to see if they've got any sort of social or an app besides everyone pitching each other, which is inevitable, um, where are their interests, what's the voice, where are they coming from? And a lot of that I will do on stage, knowing that if I have, I always have about three sections. That's just me, like the intro, three sections, the close. It's like a five-act play. I'm very much from the creative world, right? And seriously, it just is a formula that works for me. And it Childers, John Childers formula too, not to keep pitching John, but like that really influenced me, those First five or 10 minutes, man, is where you get it. The rest is like whatever. And then the end, people forget the middle, but it's how you make them feel. So make sure that you uh, you work on that. It's it's how, and that's where I don't think you can do the same thing for every audience because when they show up, man, it's just some days they're there, some days they're just not. And you have to be able to adapt to those irregardless. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, great input. So I got some other questions I want to ask you, Declan, but before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to breadridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spotlight on Speaking Show. My guest in this episode is Declan Dunn. So my favorite question generally, Declan, is okay it's time to bury your soul a little bit here share an embarrassing speaking moment that you were red-faced at the time you can't believe you did it but a valuable lesson was learned and it would be something that you would highly advise aspiring speakers not to do well i'd advise them not to do it but it's almost inevitable it's going to happen <laughs> you're going to have that really bad presentation especially when you're starting and my story really starts from my early days so because I was taught you really need to speak the same presentation about five times before you even really understand it yourself. I mean, really communicate it well. So I was on number three and I kicked butt on number two. Like it was cool. Like the, oh, it was great. You got that feel right. I'm like, and I'm teaching HTML all these. I'm the best, you know, like, oh my God, be afraid. 
Because whenever you get in those moments, the next presentation, you're sort of like riding it, but I'm still only on three out of five. I didn't listen to my mentor. You told me like, I hope you don't have a good one first because the bad one's coming. And it came and we called it Insurrection Weekend because one, it taught me to work with my partners a little bit more closely because they oversold the audience. The audience was under the assumption with 30 or 40 people that I personally was going to design every one of their websites, which was not not only not a truth, but certainly not why I was there. And But to the great point, I was reading a book by a man called Jerry Spence, who was this great lawyer who defended many people who nobody thought should be defended and actually in a good way. And it, he wrote a book called How to Win Every Argument. And basically as a lawyer, he says, always put it back to the person questioning you. So here I am, a room about to leave, all paid, dude. Six figures in this room, at least, plus more. And they're ready to walk out, and they're right, okay? <laughs> They've been like, so just own it. So I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm not happy with those partners, but I'm there. And this is either going to blow up, and I'm going to freak out, which I am in my head. I'm like, just shut up. Don't say the words. So this guy raised his hand in the back. He, I go, what? He goes, I'd like an insurrection. I'm like, whoa, this is just going wonderfully. And then I went back to Jerry Spence, who said, don't get defensive. Don't, if a, he's a brilliant book. He pushed it back. He goes, okay, I'm interested. What do you mean by insurrection? See what I'm doing? I'm putting it in their hands. And he goes, well, you know, I was told you would do my website and this is going. I, said, I, I understand that and understand. I'm telling them I went to, they were in the back. I said, you guys are going to do their website, right? <laughs> like, yes, good. Because I'm going to walk off if they're not. I don't play games. And they would, by the way, they were totally into it. So basically he said, insurrection. And I said, yeah. I go, I love insurrection. Tell me what you want me to do. I'll rip it up. And basically we plowed our way through. We got them promised. I listened to them. I adapted my presentation, which is one of the key points. This is where I learned it. And it was way too complex for this audience. So I learned how to make it come down. But I also, in the end, for the close of the room, I also managed not only to keep them in the room, but they got what they were promised, which, by the way, is inviolable for me as a speaker. If I'm playing with people who don't, you're never going to see me at your event again. That's not holier now. People do their stuff, okay? It's a big world. I know what works for me. They worked, they were willing to do it, but by turning that negative around and realizing that I wasn't going to plow through, which was, was great yesterday, I had to plow through, which was great today. And my presentations, I just got, it gets you humble. So always remember that is that you're going to have bad ones, not bad ones, but you know, you get good. You want them all to be great. And Hour four not and five, Declan. What's that? Hour four and five. I got a standing ovation on five. <laughs> now, that was cool because I had some really obtuse stuff I used to say. Myself will tell you. I mean, it's like, dude, bring it down to earth. Like, I wasn't me. Like, I could say it now. But it was more like, um, then it became really good. And I started realizing that I needed to keep it in plain, simple English. And if somebody wanted to dive into the tech jargon world, I could. And which is funny. I've done it since then. I'm doing it with AI now. It's exactly the same thing. It's hilarious. Like, not exactly everything going on, but a major technological change scaring the bejesus out of people, right? They're just freaking out because it's a significant change. But what is it in plain, simple English? And that's just as always a good lesson as a speaker. Make it understandable, fun. And in my case, it was getting too dense. 
let's talk about AI for a little bit, Declan. How do you see AI affecting the speaking world, and how can speakers use it to their best advantage? One, you really have to. I actually take people through a uh, a fear challenge because you got like this is root fear, man. This is like caveman fear, according to some. This is something that's going to take away part of many people's livelihoods, and it's also going to bring opportunity. But that's scary. And if you don't recognize that, most people will sort of bluff and go in. So what does a speaker do? Number one, like if you, and I know you're going to say <clears throat> podcasts are everywhere. People who do more than 20 podcasts are not very many. Most podcasts, people quit between 10 and 20. And look at, right, Brett? It's not easy. I'm on 24 and I can tell you, I had my like marathon quit moment. But it wasn't really like, but I also found a way to make it work for me. I do interviews. I do my own thing. So when you're speaking, you're always speaking. If you don't like to interview people, don't feel limited by that. And and use this because everything's visual. This It's such an oral spoken word kind of thing going on that's not anti-book, but it's a new sort of world where if you want to reach a younger audience, and I'm saying anybody below 55... You've got to start like understanding they want to see you, they want to hear you, and to be you. One of the cool things that they've taught us is you can just be yourself. You don't have to be perfect and gorgeous. Good if you are. Good if you got all that stuff, but just be you, man. That's what we're missing. So you can be sort of laid back, or you can be in their face, or do whatever your style is. But make sure that, to me, people play scarcity games with speaking that I don't personally believe in, but I also know there's a lot of good sense in them. So if you're getting a lot of speaking gigs, you don't want to dilute what you're doing. But if you're really starting out and networking and getting to know people, speaking is a way, the thing with a podcast is even if you don't, because you don't want to like think you're going to be famous or anything, but you're a speaker. And then you could go if you don't mind interviewing, which was another thing I had to learn, right? I'm not like I had I listen, but I, you know, I don't have periods of my sentences, as you can see. I have to watch in terms of dominating, and I don't want to. And then when I started interviewing, this person would introduce me to their network. And I've worked with a friend who actually used his interviews to work, connect with like 100 CEOs in the affiliate space when I owned it. Like in the early two aughts, I was like really everywhere. And I don't mean that like it was a very small business, but I was a very core part of it. He knew everyone I knew within three months. He would interview them. And at the end of the call, they'd be like, that was fun. We should work together. So it's actually a way, if you want to get speaking gigs, last thing I'll tell you, Jody, my partner, she went out to a major conference and she asked, she was new to it, just getting into speaking. She asked to interview the top 10 speakers who are on there for a podcast. And all she did was do what we're doing. She without the video, she just interviewed her, recorded it, gave it to him. He shared it with everybody in this major event. By the time she got there, all 10 speakers referred to her from the stage. Okay. She was invited to speak because it was fun. And she given a value add that mainly was her talking to all these major players in this speaking gig to basically network. And by the way, mostly listen to them and let them say their story and then you're there. So it's actually a way a speaker can network, get into people they're trying to reach, even if it doesn't hit. But boy, when you sort of vibe well and it's just fun, I've made so many deals this way. And if they're not, I'm fine. Then I got content, they got content that they can share. 
with their networks. So I want to circle back around to the AI question. How do you think it's going to impact the speaking world and how can speakers best leverage it? All of these elements? I mean, if you're doing, um, I'll give you an example of what I do with Substack, which is a free service, okay? And I'm on Substack with the AI Optimist for a reason, because it gets a lot of good Google search. But all I have to do is record this. I upload it. It transcribes it for me so people can actually click through it on the automatic, puts the video up, sends it out to all the podcasts and things. I'm doing one piece of content. It transcribes it, turns it into text, turns it into a podcast, sent to Apple and Spotify. It's really not rocket science and has a video posted on their site that I have everything done simply by uploading the video, pressing AI buttons so my audio sounds good, literally it's making a lot of the things that used to take expertise. It won't say they don't, but I'm able to do my podcast without normally I'd need three or four people. I don't. And I'm pretty good at the tech end. So I wouldn't say for most people, but honestly, dude, Substack is doing that for free. I get 25% of my search traffic from Google. And all I'm doing is posting a video, transcribing it, summarizing it in AI so they can summarize it with my time codes. You can go to the to the site and look at it. Each time, it's able to save me time, help me create content, and also do it in a way that it's hard to even fathom how it can improve your video and audio. Like, press the button and let it do it level. And that's, God, give it to the next two or three years. You're crazy. Like, it's it's amazing. Plus, I get AI videos that I pay a service for, but it allows me to cut in and out. So I'm a little fancier there than most people are. But by getting it on YouTube as well, where I put my video, because without YouTube, like, oh, YouTube's huge. And you can just do this. You don't have to be like some, just have a good conversation. And um, that's where AI is actually more of like freeing us from the stuff that you hate doing. Is there a tool that can do it? Maybe not, by the way. There's a lot. It's new stuff. It's not all there. But like if you're doing meetings, people go to fireflies.ai or others. You get the meeting recorded. It summarizes for you, emails everybody. It becomes intelligent. So you don't have to have, oh, could you do this? Could you do? No. It knows who, does, who the people are involved. It summarizes it for you using AI, sends it out. And now every single meeting, you don't have to sit here. And it downloads the video for you and puts it up wherever you host it. That's the kind of stuff that used to take a lot of people. So think more of that than having it do your own content, which is also obviously part of the game if you want to. But I don't, I, I personally think it's pretty, if you know where they got most of their data, it's Wikipedia people, it's Reddit, <laughs> it's garbage. That's why it's not that smart. It's because all the people who own the good stuff are saying, screw you, pay me money, then it'll come in. So it's not bad, but. I say write and use AI to help you. Don't write, let AI write and then try to help you. It's actually much better at helping you do what you do better than doing it for you, in my humble opinion. All right, so definitely you're, in my opinion, one of the more brilliant minds in the internet marketing space. So why don't you take a couple of minutes to tell people a little bit more about what all you're doing and how they can get involved in your world if they so choose. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I have to use the www in front of the domain name, www.theaioptimist.com. I have to use that because Substack, for some reason, we have to have that in front. Don't ask me why, but it's one of the nuances of it. 
I am starting in 2024 a project called AI People First, which is I find most people are in love with the technology, just like the early internet. It was all the engineers saying it was a bunch of computers. And I said, no, it's a bunch of people connecting through computers. The computer is just a tool. So is AI. But I found most people at the higher mega billion dollar level are getting attended to. But everybody else is just sort of like, well, do what you want, because we're all selling to the big companies. I mean, major big companies. That's what most of this first wave is designed for. So I start with the people, figure out, honestly, I try to identify the 20 to 40% of their work that they hate, that they hire people to do work, and they're stuck doing these bad admin tasks or just work that makes them just go crazy and not do what you hired them to do or what you were given to do. And if it's possible, streamline those first and then see how you can learn a little bit about AI. I don't push all people into it. I mean, I totally don't care if you don't use it, but you have to be aware at the many levels this is coming through. And as a speaker, for example, if you wrote a book and you trained one of these AIs on your voice, you could have an audiobook by pressing a button, okay? With your voice, with tonality, with emotions, give it about six months, you're gonna be able to use that or you can sit in front of a microphone for ungodly six to 12 hours, which is also one way to do it. But there's ways that there's just these tools help us. So that's my take on it. All right. So and your primary website, Declan, is again, optimist O-P-T-I-M-I-S-T. And you can remember that because very few people are optimists today, are they? <laughs> theaioptimist.com with a www in front of it. You can also go to declandunn.com. Look me up on LinkedIn. I'm there quite a bit, but I'm very interested in learning from people who are a little overwhelmed and behind the scenes. So I'm going to be doing actually um, some calls in the early part of the year to also continue to hone what I'm doing. It's experience-based. So I take you through like how you can benefit, not teach you how to write a prompt, but there's a lot of good ones out there if you need that help. All right. Well, awesome. Well, so enjoyed the conversation with you today, Declan. Thank you so much for being my guest on the Spotlight on Speaking show. For all my listeners out there, thank you for joining us. This is one of those listen to it again episodes, guys. So there's a lot of a lot of wisdom here. Declan's been seen it all, done it all, probably. But uh, <laughs> as always, I wish you the greatest of success at all that you do. And may this coming year be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in and remember to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.